Uh, today's big fails is test kits. Uh, we got a whole bunch of different ways that we've failed at test kits, not just reading them, but our expectations from them, how to use them, what the accuracy windows are, and some of the best options out there. You're gonna learn all of our fails, and it's gonna show up not only in our better understanding, but also how to apply that to the results in a tank. You'll be a better reefer if you hear it. At least <laughs> you'll avoid all the fails that we've had. All that's coming up today. All right, so number one is actually understanding what five or 10% off even means, because you have to have a reasonable expectation for how you're gonna perform them, where you read the endpoint, and even the accuracy of the test kit to begin with. So it's generally probably gonna be off five to 10%. That window might be bigger or smaller than you think right now. Yeah, that's the, and that's the mistake here is, you know, expecting the laboratory grade results from our hobby kits and that plus or minus 5%. You know, when it comes to like calcium, that could be like, 20 parts per million, which really isn't much. Yeah, so if it's 5% off uh, the end reading, like that isn't very much. Uh, it could be 20 points one way or the other on your 400 parts per million. If it's 10% yep. off, it'd be 40 points one way or the other. So it could be 380 or it could be 460. So deal. you start to think about that and an inherent inaccuracy with some of these test kits, mm. and you'll start to see that it's really just about a window and not about nailing a specific number. Okay, so related to that is number two, if I'm gonna do this, uh, all these different test kits have like a little bit different accuracy windows, different performance, different ways to read them, and I tested one against the other, yeah, where's that, the fail? Yeah, that, that is the fail. Testing one kit against the other, and uh, the mistake here is you know, expecting them to read the exact same. Uh, you're not measuring against the standard because you don't know what you know, your aquarium is without having a standard to measure all of these for. So you've got different reagents, different testing procedures, different wait times, all of these, you know, feed into the results. And so you could just expect, you know, one kit to test differently from another. Yeah, so I know it's frustrating. You heard like, because I just tested it with three different kits and they all say a different thing. Yeah. Which one am I supposed to trust? And the reality is it probably doesn't really matter. You just want consistency over absolute mm. accuracy. Nobody knows the exact calcium level that is the perfect one for our tanks anyways. Right. And so we're just looking for consistency. Find a safe pocket and stay in there. And uh, you cannot look at one of these and test it against the other one and say, well, hey, mine, this one was right, or, or this one's bad because my Red Sea one said that uh, it was 440 and my Sallyfort one said it's 420, so the Red Sea must be bad because the other person will say the exact opposite. Just can't be done that way. Mm. Sometimes you can find some seawater uh, standards out there that you can test against. I think Fauna Marin makes one, maybe Tropic Marin mm. makes one. Uh, but uh, you can find those standards. Some of the test kits actually, I think the, yeah. Aquaforest. Uh, the Aquaforest test kits have standards in them, so you, you can actually test against that to know, uh, and that's probably the best method rather than testing a test kit against a test kit. All right, so number three. This is making the mistake of assuming laboratory-grade results from hobby-grade prices. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. And <laughs> if it does, and those guys at the lab paying 100 bucks for their test kit and uh, spending all that effort getting super precision, they're probably way overpaid. <laughs> uh, and I say that not to frustrate everybody that uh, we're not getting the same level of results, because I'd actually like that level of results yeah. for my $15 kit. It's probably not reasonable. And actually, the first step to solving that frustration is not expecting that because we're probably not going to get it. Mm. And it's really not actually that important to get absolute precise numbers, that it's absolutely 420. It's just that we're in that safe range and we're consistently stable with our tanks. All right, so number four is not just one that I failed in the past with. I still fail. 
Yeah, the mistake here is uh, fudging the instructions. So not following the instructions specifically and precisely. Uh, we actually did a BRSCV investigates test with five different people, you know, interpreting their own, you know, what they think the instructions said to do and executing on them with five different results. Yeah, so fudging the instructions means it says, uh, you know, add five drops of this and spin it for 15 seconds or 30. Yeah. And the reality is, is you're trying to precipitate out something in most cases doing that. And if you only give it 15 where it feels like 30 and it's only 15, you haven't actually achieved that mm. step. Uh, or when you didn't read it and it says use the bottle vertically so you get an even uniform drop yep. instead of just kind of angled because it's uh, actually more convenient to do it that yeah. way. So fudging the instructions uh, doesn't work. Uh, you'll get you into the ballpark, but if you really do want accuracy, follow the instructions and you'll get the best result. All right, so one last piece on this one. It is actually the most important thing maybe that you'll hear all day. I'll be curious if I say this at the end of this episode, if it really is, but you should really consider this. It's gonna matter. Yeah, and the mistake is not considering the difference between accuracy and consistency. Again, this goes back to that BRSTV investigates test where, you know, we each did one test multiple times and we showed that between five different people, although the results were five different ways, each one of us had mostly consistent results. Yeah, and so I would take a test kit that if I performed it five times, told me it was 410 uh, versus one that told me it was 400, 410, mm. 420, whatever. It, I like, I would, even if the 410 was inaccurate, it'd actually be more beneficial to me that I got the same results because I'm gonna make decisions and information uh, based on those results. And I'm gonna find a pocket where my tank does well. And so that's where like one of the HANA checkers, like the alkalinity checker, uh, I don't know if it's the most accurate of the, all the ones up here, but it's consistent. Mm -hmm. If I perform that test uh, five times, usually it's almost exactly the same every single time. Super easy to read. I'm not counting droplets or whatnot. So really, man, in your tank, it's about that consistency and not absolute accuracy. So number six here is you may not do test kits because they're a pain in the butt, but there is a different solution. Yeah, so the mistake is not considering that difference between accuracy versus time. Some test kits take upwards of 20 minutes or longer to do. Some in that same, you know, testing the same parameter takes five, 10 minutes. I think a good one is actually the uh, nitrate test kit. So yeah. I actually trust the uh, Red Sea nitrate test kit the most uh, of all the ones that we tested. However, uh, it takes you know upwards of 20 minutes to perform that test, whereas with the NIOS one, I was able to perform it, I think, in like six minutes. Yeah. Uh, and I have to decide, do I need absolute accuracy or would just getting into the window, does it have to be three or could be two to four? And for me with nitrate, two to four and shaving off 15 minutes I mean I'll actually do it which makes it the most valuable. All right, so I think this is becoming the most disappointing episode <laughs> we've done because there's lots of things in here that people just like uh, probably didn't know, but the next one is yeah. number seven. The mistake on this one is assuming that ICP tests are the law. And you know, you hear reports of different ICP tests showing different results, and that goes back to one of those first one mistakes, testing test kits against other test kits, in which case uh, you know, ICP could be different than what I'm testing here at home. But 
the ICP gives me a piece of paper. It must be right, right? Yeah. So that's not true. So the ICP still has a window. In many cases, could be off by uh, mm. five or even ten percent, depending on the element. It's not a perfect tool for every last element. So specifically with uh, using it on the major elements, yeah. it's actually the tool that is best served for measuring things that in the parts per million or billion, not necessarily uh, all the way up in hundreds of parts per million. So, uh, you know, if you're testing your calcium with ICP against a test kit, don't hold up the ICP and say, well, for sure, this is what it is, because uh, it's not necessarily true. It's just trying to get you into a ballpark. Again, the value of the ICP is actually down at the low end for most of these things. And also your ICP report, it's telling you your calcium from two weeks ago in many cases. Ah, so it, it really isn't uh, as accurate as you'd like. It's designed to give you a window into the chemistry of your tank. And in the case of ICP, the closest window that we've ever had into the tank chemistry, but it's not the absolute perfect tool. It's just giving you a window into the chemistry and knowing things that are right or wrong. Number eight is? Yeah, I think all of these are kind of feeding into each other. And the mistake on number eight is getting lost and chasing the numbers. I, you had said multiple times, almost every single one of these mistakes so far, that accuracy is not of the utmost importance. So, you know, when you're chasing down numbers in that very specific 425 or 422 calcium level, you're just asking to pull your hair out in frustration. Yeah, so if your calcium is supposed to be 420 and it's 410, consider the fact that your test kit actually, you're inside your window of uh, mm -hmm. margin of error for your test kit. So you may not want to correct that. So what you're really looking for is, well, it seems like it fell 10 points. So what if I test it again in a week and now it's 400? Now I know I'm seeing a trend and I can adjust the dose that I'm making into the tank to correct that trend. And I'm looking for that consistent result. So I don't necessarily always want to fix. You have to decide for yourself, but there is a window where I do want to make an immediate correction. But for the most part, I'm trying to find the trends and then make corrections to my doses. So number nine is that exact same thing. Yeah, number nine is making the mistake of not picking a range. So like I said, going back, not picking 420 as my target number, but more so like 410 to 430. And if I trend outside of that, either higher or lower, then make corrections. Yeah, so if my alkalinity is supposed to be uh, 8.5 and I find out that it's 8.4 and I feel the need to go dose, mm. that's getting a little bit of uh, mad scientist. <laughs> uh, it's outside the accuracy range for the tool and almost certainly at a tenth of a DKH. I might get a reading on my checker that tells me that, mm. but it doesn't mean that it's actually accurate. So uh, it, I'm looking for a trend. So if it drops by a, point, a tenth of a point today and then tomorrow it's another tenth of a point, well, now I'm starting to see a trend here that I should correct, but I definitely don't want to go playing mad scientist dumping stuff in every day because I'm more likely to harm the tank than help it. All right, so number 10 related to actually that point one of alkalinity. There's a story that's behind that. <laughs> and the mistake is understanding how valuable daily alk testing can be. So alkalinity, you know, as far as ratios in the water versus calcium, alkalinity can show you quicker trends or different trends more accurately than calcium. 
I think there's about seven times as much calcium in the water as uh, alkalinity. So it's just consumed out of the water faster. So you can actually see the trends uh, yeah. much closer. I also think the uh, testing accuracy of alkalinity is a little bit yeah. uh, tighter as well. So in this case, you can actually find out so many things about your tank. If the corals are growing like what you've done, they'll actually consume alkalinity faster. Yeah. If you started dosing something they don't like, it will actually start consuming alkalinity slower. If you turn the lights on longer and the photosynthesis is, on, uh, is happening inside the corals longer, you may actually consume more alkalinity, which means you're growing your corals faster. If you turn them up too bright, though, and the corals are mad, it will actually start <laughs> consuming less alkalinity. You can do so many different things. I can elevate the pH and it consumes more alkalinity. It means things are positively happening in your tank, but that alkalinity on a daily method or a pulse is telling you what your tank likes and what it doesn't and giving you that real-time pulse on how well you're doing. All right, so number 11, I would have actually never told you to do five years ago because it would have been a pain in the butt. Now it isn't. Yeah, and that is going back to that daily alkalinity testing. Make it easier on yourself, and the mistake is not considering the right tool to make it easy, hand alkalinity checker. So this thing I can get done in under a minute and a half with like three, four steps, and now I can get my pulse on my tank just because I'm more prone to do it because it's so fast. Drop, 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 check, drop. No, not that. No. So what we're going to do is we're going to open it up, take the vial out, put 10 milliliters of water in it, get uh, uh, clear it, add one milliliter of reagent, shake it 10 times, put it back, push the button again. I think 60 seconds, I have my alkalinity reason. Mm. And every morning I can look at the tank and say, yep, things are going well. Or look, I did that thing yesterday and it's doing even better. Uh. Alkalinity dropped, which means I'm doing something good. So have one of these checkers around. It's probably the most useful tool or the most realistic tool that you can use to know if what you're doing for your tank is either good or bad. So number 12 is actually another checker thing. Yeah, and the mistake is not considering one of these uh, photometric checkers for those hard to read titration color tests. Like, many people are colorblind, and even if I'm not colorblind, I find it hard to read the different shades of pink, you know, for nitrate tests, maybe different shades of yellow. So get something that does that for me. Uh, uh, raise your hand if you've done this at home. But uh, I've got the little, little chart, and I've gone to my wife and said, does that look like this, <laughs> or does that look like, and like, you just debate well, it all day long. Post a picture on the forum or yeah. on the group. Yeah. Well, am I supposed to do it in the window, or, or horizontal light, <laughs> or like, who knows? You know? yeah. So the, specifically, the uh, uh, phosphate one is super hard to read, the light mm. blue color, especially at the lower levels. And I find it really hard to read most of the nitrate ones, especially the pink shade ones. Yep. I get a little bit better at the, the NIO shade of how they Yellow. do it. But I've heard that the, or they just recently announced that uh, Hannah's going to make a nitrate one. If it's quick and easy to do and accurate, I think a whole different group of people are going to be willing to test nitrate on a regular basis because nitrate is one of the essential things for uh, uh, metabolic function for corals and controlling it will absolutely have results. Number 13, uh, make an informed decision. Yeah, the mistake is not making that informed decision on how frequently you test some parameters. So we just said alkalinity daily testing, good pulse on the tank. What about calcium? Do I need to test calcium every day? Yeah, maybe it doesn't fluctuate as much because of that seven to one ratio. Magnesium, definitely not. So I can like time my frequency to keep up with trends in my tank. Yeah, so there's a lot of things. Because you haven't made that decision, you might not even test it all. Yeah, true. Like, I'm not going to test uh, nitrate daily. That would be a yeah. total waste of time. I don't got a half hour to do that every day. <laughs> but 
then that process is you did it and you just didn't get any value from one week to another week, it's because you didn't really have a goal. And so in this case, have a goal for why you're testing. And if you have that, mm. you'll know how frequently to do it. So the alkalinity one I would like to do daily yep. if I, at possible. Uh, calcium for me, as long as alkalinity is on, I might test as infrequently as every other week mm. or maybe even once a month. <laughs> uh, if alkalinity is on and my, and my calcium dosing is uh, solid mm -hmm. and I trust the solution and I'm watching it go down, I don't really need to test it that often because they go down in unison. Yep. So you really need to decide for yourself what your goal is and how frequently you do it. Magnesium, on the other hand, definitely once a month. Mm -hmm. It isn't that big a deal if that one drops 50 points and you can make a correction to it now and then. Yep. Uh, now with uh, phosphate and nitrate, these are ones that most people would like to do, but don't really understand why they're doing it. But basically nitrate and phosphate are telling you whether or not you're polluting your tank. Right. Does your filtration match your food input to the tank? So one of two things needs to happen if it doesn't. You need to stop dumping so much food in there or you need to up your filtration. And it may not be like buying new things, but it may need it a little bit better mm -hmm. or something. So in this case, I would probably take a nitrate and phosphate reading once a month. Mm. You know, and the reason I do it once a month is I just need to know whether or not I'm dumping in too much food for the type of filtration I'm doing, and that's going to give me that pulse. Uh, it's also not just a negative, but a positive. So it's not just going to tell me I'm going over and that I should go do something about it. That once a month, it's also giving me that positive reinforcement that I've actually matched the input to the output and I'm doing a good job. Okay, so number 14 is probably the most important step to both accuracy and consistency. Yeah, and making the mistake of not understanding the end point of your test is the key here. You know, a lot of them are the titration ones, color changes. They're notorious for these endpoints where I'm going from like blue to pink or pink to blue and vice versa. And all these different color changes, you know, some people may think that I need it to turn to yellow and it has to hold yellow. Some may say, oh, I need it to first feel like yellow and that's going to be my end point. Uh, the goal here is to at least just pick one and stick with it. There's a difference between pur blue and purple. If yeah. it shows purple, you need to get all the way to purple. <laughs> uh, and uh, here's the big thing too, is if you have a hard time reading it uh, and you can't really figure out what is blue and what's purple with this test kit, mm. throw it in the trash and go <laughs> get one that isn't. And uh, we actually did that episode. And so most of the test kits, so we have an episode mm. of best of the year and you can go and see which ones we found the easiest to read. Yeah. So maybe that will be helpful to you. But there was like ones like the, in that test we did the Lamott calcium one. I really like the alkalinity one, but mm. the calcium one, it was, it changes from like uh, blue to purple and it only lasts a second. You have back. to see it the first time and it changes back and it tells you not uh, the first change. We all hated it so much we threw them in the trash <laughs> and uh, discontinued it because it's just That's not true. realistic to do. So uh, not only uh, throw it in the trash at home, but we're going to throw it in the trash here so nobody gets it either. Uh, so, but make sure to read the instructions because most of the time it actually tells you. Some of the better ones out there actually have videos you can see from the manufacturer and they'll tell you this is exactly where it changes. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, for me, uh, I want to make sure that it changes because you're dropping like an acid in there in most cases. And it will actually change color right in the top. But if you keep swirling it, the acid dilutes throughout the whole thing and you actually need more to control the, uh, the pH change. It's the pH dye in there that's changing color. Mm -hmm. And you actually need more. And so I want to see it hold the color, change the whole thing and hold the color. That's my end point. So number 15 is related to how much money we spend on all this stuff. Yeah, and the mistake is not considering the short-term cost versus the long-term cost of the test. So we're specifically when we're talking about reagents and refilling these, because you know you probably get 50, 
50 tests, 100 tests, depending on which test kit you're using. Uh, and then you have to replenish that after you've gone through those tests. Some test kits actually work out in the long run to be the cheaper option. Yeah, specifically those that have reagent refills. Yeah. So like the Red Sea ones and the Lamont ones, you can buy not just the whole box all over again and yeah. everything. It just has the reagents in there. You can buy the reagents and it's a lot cheaper. Even like obviously the Hannah Checker at 50 bucks is a lot more expensive than most of these out there. But once you do the math and I'm using it for a couple of years, yeah. the reagents actually make it much more and much cheaper. And specifically, actually, in terms of cost, this uh, Red Sea Foundation one that has the calcium, alkalinity, and magnesium all in one kit mm. is probably one of the cheapest options out there. Right, so number 16, I bet 90% of you never even considered. No, and that is making the mistake of not considering the safety precautions with these test kits. I mean, like you said, we're working with acids, we're working with you know different types of uh, chemicals that I absolutely don't want to get like on, on my eyes, on my skins, I'm worried about getting in my tank, and it is something that I need to consider. Alright, so the worst part is it looks pretty inert. It's just an aquarium test kit, how yeah. bad could it be, yeah. right? Uh, but you look at the side of the box and it says uh, danger, warning, uh, causes uh, severe uh, skin burns, eye damage, may cause an allergic reaction, toxic to aquatic life with long-lasting effects, keep out of the reach of children, wear protective, and it goes on and on and on and on. So like a lot of these things are super toxic, so you absolutely, best practice, probably wear gloves, uh, even best practice, wear eye protection. But in any case, be careful when you're using some of these things because they can have some pretty toxic things that don't want to go in your tank and you don't want to harm yourself as well. All right, so number 17, the holy grail. <laughs> yeah, and this is not considering those automated solutions for testing. So, I mean, we're talking everything from pH monitors, the Senai that has pH monitoring and ammonia monitoring. And then of course, you know, things like the Trident with calcium, alkalinity, magnesium, other alkalinity testers and things like that. These things are automated. I can, a lot of times I can get real time updates right on my phone. So somebody asked me once, uh, like, what's the value of monitoring your pH? Because I don't do anything about it ever. Yeah. And that's true, except for when it's off, right? <laughs> and so when it's way off, it means something catastrophically went wrong. Yeah. And I can walk up and at a glance, see what the pH is and know that like something's really wrong with my chemistry. Alkalinity is mm. way off the hook. Two-part got overdosed, all kinds of different things I can find out from the pH that I would never be able to find out any other way. And I would never perform a pH test kit. So having real-time monitoring of uh, pH is that benefit. Obviously, calcium, alkalinity, magnesium with the trident, super obvious. Yeah. Uh, but even with the Senai, you know, there's the pH monitoring with that, but also ammonia. And you may think to yourself, well, I'd never monitor ammonia. I tried done the cycle, it's not a big deal. Except for real-time ammonia monitoring is probably the only thing in the world that will tell you something just died in your tank. <laughs> Right. Yeah, true. And just something just died means other things are about to follow it. Go do something about it. So, you know, a lot of these different ways of testing things actually tells you to like warns you. And in the case of the Senate, also sends out or the Trident sends out a little text message saying, mm. hey, your tank needs your help. Go do something about it. Number 18, accuracy again, but a different direction. Yeah, the, so there are shelf lives on some of these reagents, in which case the mistake of not recognizing the exp expiration dates uh, and then expect, you know, proper expectations. So if I'm using an expired test kit, I can't expect, you know, super accurate results. 
All right, I just looked at this one, 0220, meaning it expired in February a few months ago. <laughs> Don't use this one. Luckily, it's a prop. But uh, in this case, you know, you really need to make sure that they haven't expired, especially if they've been opened, yeah, right? Yeah, true. So, you know, make sure that you check all the expiration dates. They do matter, and especially because you have a lot of test kits that you may not have used in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pay attention to it, and then at that time, actually decide, do I really need to buy another one of these? Right. Or how am I using it and what the value is? Number 19, sometimes it's not just about all the stuff that we are testing currently, but what about the things we aren't? Yeah, and the mistake here is not considering those things that we're not testing for. So there's a variety of things, you know, especially when it comes to like hobby grade test kits. Uh, I'm not testing for minor trace elements that like an ICP test can give me for, or heavy metals or things. So, you know, worthwhile to send in one of those. But, you know, even outside of that, like chlorine. Mm -hmm. So you got your RO system, right? And there's carbon blocks in there designed to remove all of the disinfectant from the water uh, and related ammonia. And so you want to know if it works? Well, if people ask every day, how long do my carbon blocks last? The answer is uh, if you uh, use your uh, RO system for 10 gallons a day and I use mine for one, well, I'm going to have to change mine about one-tenth as often as you. Right. And it's even more complex than that if you have three parts per million chlorine and I only have one. Now it's like a 30 to 1 thing. It's totally, totally different. So you can get a little box of chlorine test strips for like uh, 10 bucks. And, you know, for 30 of these tabs, I can go out there and find out exactly when by just sticking it in the wastewater, which is water that's gone through the carbon blocks but not through the membrane. And it will tell you exactly when to change your carbon blocks. All right, number 20 is like a hot tip Randy gave me a while ago. <laughs> yeah, this goes back to keeping things clean and accurate, in which case it's a mistake not to store your vials and testing materials with RODI water or even rinsing them out with RODI water. So I like to take my little Hannah Checker vials, rinse them out super thoroughly, fill them up with RODI water, and then put them back so I don't have any leftover reagent in there. Yeah, and so for me, this is where it all came together, is inside the Red Sea test kits, I always get this white ring of crust at the top of the vial, mm. and it's impossible to clean it out. Uh, but really, all of these vials will form this crust in them, and in, they get uh, like stains inside of the Hannah Checker bottles as yeah. well. However, if I just take the 10 seconds to squirt some RODI water, meaning I keep a little bottle of it around wherever my testing is, and I store them full, then they never get that crossed. I rinsed them out, and now whatever little bit is left in there is stored diluted in there, and it will never ever form up all that crust, which not only makes it last longer, but also increases the quality of the results. All right, number 21 uh, makes things easier. Yeah, this is another hot tip here that's a mistake not to use syringes to fill your Hannah checkers. So, you know, I started with my first Hannah checker where I'd take the little vial, dip it in the water, dip it in the water, dip it in the water, gone too far, shake a little drop out. I and mean, this thing took me about, you know, a minute to finally get right to the line. Whereas now I just get like a dollar syringe and I fill it up to the line with a syringe. I don't have any spill on the, especially when it comes to salt water on the outside of the vial that I have to clean off anyway. If you're wondering, should I read the 10 milliliter on my syringe or the little line in the side of the vial? It's the line in the vial from the, you know, the test kit manufacturer. Mm. Your syringe, you may not filled it perfectly. You might have had a couple drops of water in there. It's also only a buck, so you should have reasonable expectations for the accuracy of that tool as well. Yeah. You really want to get there, but you can use a syringe to just squirt in the amount you need. It's so much easier than like shaking it off and dipping it. Yep. And you don't want to ever dip that in the tank either because who knows what's on it. So syringe is just a way better tool to fill up your Hannah Checker vials. All right, as always, 
always, if there's one thing you heard above all else, and the most important thing you could probably hear today, what is it? Yeah, for me, I'm gonna you know self-serve my uh, hot tip there with the using the syringe to fill your HANA checker, storing all of your uh, testing vials with RODI. I mean, it's just one extra step to getting that accuracy and consistency that you're looking for. And if you do it the same every time, you can expect similar results every time. And for me, it's stop chasing the test kit dragon. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't test them against each other. You can't test them against yep. ICP. And you just don't even need to. Just get into a brand that you trust, get a consistent results from it, and that'll be enough for your tank. And it'll save you the headache of something that wasn't gonna materialize anyway. <laughs> so in related to that, we did all those tests for accuracy. We did all the tests for not just accuracy between uh, like each results, but like different people doing them yep. and all kinds of different test kits. So we got a whole playlist of all the best of uh, test kits where you can see what we came up with and what we believe to be the best options out there.